Welcome to this segment of For Such a Time as This, Houston, UST. Embedded in the wonderful name of our city is the name of our university. God has a great sense of humor. UST, the University of St. Thomas, which has always stood for the heart of Houston. The university is truly the heart of Houston. It is also rightful because University of St. Thomas is a great urban university. So from Houston's great urban university, Every week we have this discussion around current issues through the lens of Catholic social teaching and social justice. This week, we're discussing history being made mm. by the Catholic Church in the world because of our wonderful Pope. History being made in the sense that for the first time, the US Catholic Church in the life and times of the US Catholic Church, we have the first African-American Roman Catholic Cardinal. Cardinal. We're gonna have a discussion about what that means from historical contents. What does it mean for the future of the Catholic Church? What does it mean particularly since the Cardinal is based in Washington DC as the Cardinal of the capital of this country uh, and who could help me have this conversation better than anyone else I could not think of but one person. And that is my good, very good, good friend for many, many years, Herb Johnson of New York. So let's give Herb a big welcome and welcome Herb to For Such a Time as This. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invite. Thanks How are so you? Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm not going to even try to have uh, the privilege and pleasure of introducing you and telling our audience all about you. So tell us about yourself. Give us the background, brother. Give us the 411 so that when you speak, everybody will have a clear context from which you are speaking. Okay, I'll try, I'll try to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> for, for an old man, you know what I mean? It's been but, hard uh, for all of us to do as we get older, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, native, native New Yorker, native Harlemite, um, uh, born and raised in New York City, educated uh, Catholic school, public schools, a Catholic college, Fordham graduate, uh, graduate of Fordham University, um, social work by training, but um, for the last 30 some years I've been in education. Um, uh, law enforcement uh, led a led uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice has been my employer uh, since 1989. And um, uh, while I'm retired from my desk job, currently I'm holding down an adjunct title in Africana Studies. Um, uh, so that's really what I'm doing now. But I retired from my job, which was training law enforcement. So uh, I headed up the Security Management Institute, which was responsible for training law enforcement and private security offices and my areas of expertise was a human, human relations and competency training. Um, as I mentioned currently, I'm, I'm adjuncting two classes. I teach two classes, race, <coughs> rather, <coughs> justice, the individual and the struggles in the African American experience. Justice, justice, the individual and struggle in the African American experience. Yes, I've right, been brother. teaching classes 1998. All right, say that again. I'm writing that down. Justice, justice, the individual, and struggle in the African American experience. Yeah, that's a mouthful, and that also says it all. Yes, yes. Well, I'll give you history, a little history on that. Um, uh, our two two presidents ago, Jeremy Travis, when he came. Uh, the course used to be the course used, used to be titled "Race, Race and American Society: The Struggle of in African American Spirits." But when J Jeremy came in, he wanted justice, 
he wanted to title justice in the in all of the um, if like you that. could put justice in your uh, curriculum or your 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 course title, he wanted in there, so we put it in there. All right, I think that's a great start. Yeah, yeah. So here we are at this juncture. Uh, Pope Francis sent a powerful message of hope and inclusion to the Church of the United States by naming Wilton Gregory the first cardinal, African American cardinal. A little background on on Archbishop uh, Wilton Gregory. Uh, Herb and I have both known him since he was a priest uh, and have watched him grow from being our ordained priest to becoming the Auxiliary Bishop of Chicago, moving from there from the Archbishop of Chicago to becoming the Bishop of Belleville, Illinois, where previously, if you know from my discussion here on, on for such a time as this, I worked and served uh, for four years, almost five years as the Vicar for Urban Affairs for the Diocese of Belleville, Illinois, long before Bishop Gregory uh, got there. Uh, at that time, it made me the first and only lay Roman Catholic vicar in the United States, and it certainly made me the first black <laughs> uh, uh, vicar in the United States with that title. Uh, Bishop Gregory then moved to become the Archbishop of, New of uh, Atlanta, where, where he served until he was called to become the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., and just the other day, this past Sunday, he was named by the Pope as the first African-American Cardinal. Uh, he is a scholar. He's a deep thinker. He's a caring, very caring, deeply deep caring human being. And we're very happy to have him in this new role. Let me just read a quote from, a uh, direct quote from Bishop uh, Gregory so we all can get a little feel of his thinking. In August, doing a mass commemorating the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington, Gregory said this, ours is the task and the privilege of advancing the goals that were so eloquently expressed 57 years ago by such distinguished voices on that day. He added that men and women, young and old, people of every racial and ethnic background are needed in this effort. We are at a pivotal juncture in our country's struggle for racial justice and national harmony. Uh, that's a mouthful that fits so well where we are now. But Herb, let's bring, let's bring it back a little bit further before we talk about the present and the future. Uh, you and I go back and let's have people understand a little bit about the Black Catholic movement yeah. uh, in this country. Uh, I'm gonna let you uh, wax on that a little bit eloquently. Uh, and then I wanna jump into those early years of NOBC and then the National Association of Black Catholic <clears throat> and kind of go from there. So give us well, a little context. Uh, yeah, well, you and I picked this up personally Personally, you and I picked this up, I think it was 1977, you have to excuse me for my dates, but the 1977, 78, when I became the director of the Office of Black Ministry in the Archdiocese of New York. I believe you were already in that position in Houston. And our first meeting, if I recall, um, the, um, I think, I don't know if NAPCA had been formed yet, National Association of Black Catholic Administrators, had been formed yet. I, I remember where there was a meeting in New York. Yeah, that's how that was our first meeting, our first was, real meeting in that Rochester. Was, that in was Rochester. the first meeting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh Lord, Lord. Anyway, that's where that's where we came together. And of course, NAPCA at the time was, um, you know, as a result of the as a result of the um, uh, I think I, yeah, excuse me for my memory, but there was uh, there was a Catholic conference held in Detroit. Uh huh. It was a big uh -huh. conference. Call, call to action. Call, call to action. action. Call for action in call Detroit. Action. And it was in that Detroit meeting 
where there was a there was um there was a call put forth that diocese should establish these these entities to represent people of Af people of African ancestry. That's how I used to yeah. promote New York. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, New York obviously came online. And our job, as I used to tell folks when I was in the office, uh, Larry, I, my job was to promote the presence and contributions of Black Catholics. Because throughout history, we know, you know we've been shunted to the side. We've been a second class citizen yeah. in the church even though the church, you know, has deep, deep, deep roots in Africa. But um, because- couldn't even, go, couldn't even go to church at the white churches. Couldn't go to mass couldn't at the even white go, churches. Well, my mother, my mother was married in St. Charles Borromeo, where Emerson, where Bishop Emerson Moore was. But there's stories that go on with Charles at St. Charles where black folks were whipped away. You know, yep. the, the priests would come out with whips. And of course we had our one black church was St. Mark's, St. Mark's for Harlemites, St. Mark's on 38th Street. That's the one black church that was set up for black Catholics. Uh, in Queens, I, I live in Queens now, and the one black church that set up then was St. Thomas, well, uh, St. Benedict the Moor, which happens to be right across the street from Floyd Flake's cathedral. Right. And um, so that, it's only, it's only in proximity though. It's only in proximity, <laughs> but you, you know the story. We were, we were not considered um, uh, Eddie Gloud, who we talked about earlier, uh, who I've been really following him and doing a lot of reading about him, he has this term he calls the value gap. Mm -hmm. The value gap. He's trying to close the value gap. And the value gap is basically that people of color, Black people, African people of African ancestry, weren't valued, didn't have the same value as European right. people. Right. And he's trying to close that value. And because of that value gap, we were treated differently. We were treated di throughout history. Throughout history, and the church wasn't the church. Unfortunately, wasn't any different. Wasn't right. any different. You would think it would be from my readings and history, understanding history. You think it would be different, but we don't want to go down too deep in the weeds. But I think the church has a lot to make up for, for its role, the role that it played throughout history. Um, I've been doing some reading on this doctrine of discovery. Uh -huh. I don't know how familiar you. I don't know how familiar audience is with the doctrine of discovery, but if you read the doctrine of discovery, you see those papal bulls that were issued, you will see how we got on this path, this path of the value gap, yeah. where others, where some of some humans, some human beings, some ethnic groups, cultural groups, are thought to be less than, yeah. less than others with Europeans, of course, at the top of the hill and certain Europeans, not all Europeans, because we know that the Irish and the Latins, I mean, the Italians, the Italians and yeah. your Eastern Europeans, yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't considered full-blooded, you know, like with the Germans and the English, but eventually they were allowed into the club. They became, they assimilated and were allowed to be in the club of whites, but we are still not in the club. Right. <laughs> so the Gregory piece is very important. I mean, the Gregory piece is phenomenal. It was it was one of the goals that we've had from you know thirty five at least since I've been in the struggle. Oh yeah, yeah. since we've been talking about it from day one when we formed the National Association right. of Black Administrators. Right, right, right. I mean, this was black bishops. Yeah, I remember so when it was black let's, bishops. Let's start, wait, let's start with the beginning. Firstly, we had to get some black yeah. bishops. Black priests, right? It was the right. black first black was priest, the black priests. They wouldn't even let us go to the seminary. They wouldn't even let us go to the seminary to study the be priests. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I mean, it's it's been a long struggle, but um, 
you know, we it, with Praga, I, I tell my students all the time, we, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Yes, we do. America, a phrase I use, and I get this from Marlana Karanga, America is not a finished product. Right. It's an unfinished project. Yeah. It's an unfinished project. And I think our struggle in the church is an unfinished project. We are not where we want to be, but we're not where we was either. That's for sure. So the, And the history of the Catholic it, Church and slavery. Nothing to be happy about. Nothing to be happy about. We got a lot of work to do yet. Still got to go forward. That's why we got to stay healthy, Herb, so we can continue this battle. Uh, the yeah, Catholic yeah, Church's yeah. history with slavery is, is well known. Uh, it's uh, it's really clear over the years when popes even endorsed slavery. Uh, we also know that uh, many, many, many prominent Catholics and the church itself, and even some bishops owned slaves. We also know that yes. uh, Georgetown was one of the largest uh, slaveholders at one time in this country, Georgetown University, that actually the sale of slaves to uh, wealthy Catholic in New Orleans uh, saved Georgetown. It was on, Georgetown was about to go bankrupt and go out of, out of business. They sold, uh, uh, I think, almost 200 slaves uh, to uh, which uh, Catholic in New Orleans and literally saved Georgetown mm -hmm. University. And so then those histories are there. The, the history is history. The facts and the truth are there throughout the history. But uh, before I ask uh, Herb to dive in a little bit deeply, let me give you a couple little contextual context here. Uh, we have now, after the struggle of all these years, starting in, I think, in earnest, as Herb mentioned, in the 70s, uh, when we really started pushing for black uh, bishops in the church. Uh, we have now uh, 12 deceased African-American bishops, seven retired, and five that are active. One of the five, I, I, obviously, we're talking about today, the new Cardinal of Washington, D.C. The other one is an auxiliary bishop in New Orleans, Bishop uh, Cherie. One is the ordinary of Homa Thibodeau uh, in Louisiana, Bishop Fabre. And one is the uh, uh, auxiliary in Chicago, uh, Bishop Perry. And so we have five uh, only, uh, one cardinal, one ordinary, and three archbishops, mm. uh, mm. auxiliary bishops. So we've gained, heard over the years, we've lost. <laughs> uh, and so as we go forward now, the question really becomes the Na uh, National Black Catholic Congress. Uh, there was something that we had for a while called NOBC, the National Office of Black Catholics, which includes Black clergy, Black sisters, and Black laity, uh, which led to the call to action conference in 1976, as Herb mentioned. And then in 1988 and 89, uh, there was a lay symposium held in Belleville, Illinois. Yes, back to Belleville, Illinois, uh, uh, during that time. And then after that, the National Black Catholic Congress was formed uh, by another, uh, at that time, uh, Bishop. Bishop John Ricard, uh, who is now retired. Uh, Bishop Ricard now is the Superior General of the Josephite Fathers. Uh, so history has a way of uh, going around. So Herb, with all that background, let, let's talk about now. Where do you, so we've lost so many Black Catholics in the church over the years, uh, in, the, in recent memory, we can't even count how many we've lost. Uh, and hopefully some will start coming back. Hopefully even this new news of the Cardinal will help. But you and I have talked so much over the years, it is because the church has not only cared about black people, uh, going back to colored Negro, uh, black African-American mm. people, it didn't care about the issues that were impacting on us. It wasn't involved lockstep mm. 
with the social justice issues. It would involve in social economic reform. It would involve in marginalized people. It would involve involved in all the things that directly affected black Catholics, let alone embracing the black human being themselves. So tell us about this double whammy. Basically, it is from there to now. And now, in some ways, they much better. When we did have offices of black Catholic ministries around the country, at least that we had an office where we could raise the issues and fight the fight, but that didn't even exist now. Well, like, you, you know, I always, when we talk, I frequently, my question is, where is the church? Where is the church? Because I, you know, I mean, I know, I know this, I know that, you know, church is, is multi-leveled and mostly there's a, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of organizations, and there's some good work being done, but publicly, yes, publicly, yes. I think that the church is missing. I mean, the church as an institution, I think, and I've always said this even when I was, you know, when I was working with, needs to be more visible in taking a position on the issues of the day. Where is the church? I haven't, I have not, and I'm not, you know, I'm not the most literate and I'm certainly not reading and expose everything, but I, I do think that I'm somewhat informed and, um, I'm, I'm, it, it troubles me that with all that's going on in the country today, the church is, is sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the sidelines. And that's, that's bothering me because I think, I think the church's voice is, is needed now more than ever. This is the time, this is the time to take a stand. I mean, where, and I think when you talk about, I don't even know what the numbers of um, black Catholics are Currently, I haven't kept. I don't, I don't either. But I think um, I don't either. But I, it, I, I would suspect that is less than either, either wholly or percentage-wise, is less than when we were doing our thing in oh, office. Yeah. Much, much uh, less back in much, the seventies. Right, and and I'll never forget. I'll never forget one of our Rome, one of my Rome trips, and it was now he's a bishop. Um, he was in Belleville, Ed Braxton. Yeah, and Ed Braxton made a statement that I'll never forget because people were always concerned about why Black Catholics was doing all this ad agitating and advocating, and why aren't we happy, and why aren't we satisfied, yada yada yada. And Ed Braxton, I'll never forget this. He said, "People always ask why there are so few Black Catholics." He said, "The question should be why there's so so many." Why are there so many black Catholics in light of the way we've been treated, in light of the way the church, yep. the stance that the church has taken regarding us and our and issues that deal with us personally? Why are he he couldn't understand why there were so many. That should be the question. Why are there so many right. of us? Right. In light of the fact that the church really doesn't represent us. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about Catholic charities. Right. I'm not talking about Catholic charities. I'm talking that's, about that's still charity. We're talking issues. about justice. We're talking about justice. We're talking about justice, right? We're not talking about charity. We're not talking about charity. We're talking about justice, all right? And where is the church when it comes to advocating for our for justice issues that affect us directly? Because history tells us civil rights movement and the rest. When the issues that African Americans have always been involved with and always advocated for and always pushed those issues benefit everybody. Right. 
it's not just whatever you know when when we make advancement when our movements are successful we our our wake is full of other people who have benefited from our movements you know uh, again uh they they are singing we shall overcome all over the world but people seeking justice throughout the throughout the globe have borrowed from us they have borrowed from us. They have borrowed our songs. They have borrowed our strategies. They have borrowed our themes. They have they have looked to us for leadership in terms of helping them to achieve their sense of justice, their place, their, their place of equality. Mm -hmm. So we're not just advocating for issues that affect us as black people. We're, we're we advocate for issues that affect human beings. Right. Right. Quality, improve the quality of humans. Yeah. And when we are successful, a lot of people benefit. Absolutely. A lot of people benefit. And that's what gives me pleasure in some ways. Let me just just quickly. What gives me pleasure with the with the um, level of protest that's existing currently is how diverse it is. Yes. In my lifetime, I've never seen the kind of diversity I see of people participating in these protests because Young people, particularly young people, but others, but the young people are conscious. They are they are aware of what's going on, and I right. and I love it because they benefit. They know they're going to benefit from it as well. They're going to benefit. You know, health health care. Who? Everybody needs health care. Everybody education. Everybody needs education. Everybody everybody needs everybody needs everybody needs to be treated. Everybody needs to be. Uh, uh, I won't keep you. But I'll give me time to tell a story about Charles Dutton. Okay. The, the movie star. All right. I'll give you that time in a, a little and bit before we run out of time. I'll wrap it up with that. I'll wrap it up with a Charles Dutton story. I'll give you the end of and Charles I, Dutton's story, and then I'll come back and do the end after you do the Dutton story. But let me just say this before okay. I turn it back to you. Uh, I think, as you indicated, we are in the middle of the fight for the soul of this country, the soul of America, the battle for the soul of America. Uh, and that's a Martin Luther King phrase that now others have about. <laughs> uh, it is the battle for the soul of America because it is about two things, and it's always been about those same two things, interestingly enough. The battle is between the nature of our better angels and the nature of our worst impulse. And so those two have always been locked in a battle with each other. On the side of our better angels are what we're going to do with race and fear and violence, and all those things that we talk about and see in the media every single day, poverty, injustice, all those things. On the other side of our, of our worst impulse is how we think about those who are marginalized, those who are repressed, those who are excluded. And what do we want for this country going forward? It is that very clear understanding of what we are willing to invest in to create the future that we want. So we've talked a lot about history here. History informs the present so we can have a better future together tomorrow. But you gotta learn your history. You have to know your history. You can't jump over your history to the present and talk about the future. The history really informs the present. It allows us to have a great and brighter future together and uh, tomorrow. So we're at that point. We're at that crucible point. We're at that inflection point where some decisions are gonna be made here fairly soon that may change the, the trajectory of these conversations and dialogues. I certainly hope so. Uh, I think we have to remain curious. We have to learn how to listen from each other and learn from each other. We have to remain humble so that we can learn from our mistakes and admit them when we, when we do make mistakes. 
We have to have empathy to see the world through other people's eyes as we go forward. And we have to understand that in these times that are coming, I always say people have been talking about this election, election, election. Yes, faithful citizenship, elections are important. Please go out and vote. Go out and vote, vote, vote. But it's after the election. It's November 4th through January 20th when the next president mm. is sworn in. It is those 78 days mm. I'm referring to as the in-between time. Mm. In some ways, even the middle passage time. Mm -hmm. It's those 78 days where we're really going to see what we're made of as Americans, as citizens, how we understand democracy. In those 78 days that are coming, we're going to understand that the, the civic and cultural spheres must articulate a new normal ethical vision, a new narrative, and hope for unites this diverse people. I look to the church, as Herb mentioned earlier, I look to the church, my church, the Roman Catholic Church, maybe even now through our newly uh, invested cardinal, who will be invested on November 30th, to have some words that help us get through this middle passage of the in-between time from darkness to light. Because it really is going to be about the soul, and soul means breath, as we know as, a, as church people, as Catholics. Soul means breath, to give breath to something, to breathe life into something. I think it's going to behoove us to do that, and to do it in a way that allows us as Catholics, as Catholics of color, of all mm. Catholics, to feel proud about our church, to feel that our church now embraces the issues that we face and deal with every day. So Herb, that's my piece. I'll okay. give you a minute to talk about your Charles Duncan story. Oh man, I I, I gotta just do this real quickly. First, I, before you, before I, I want to stick in. Do you remember Jerome Robinson? Oh yes, yes indeed, Father Jerome Rochester. Robinson. Yeah. You remember uh, you mentioned Rochester? Jerome used to always talk about the ABCs. Yep. Remember the ABCs, Diane? Yeah. Everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. Everybody yeah. wants to be able to wants to be accepted, wants to belong, and yep. wants to count yeah all right that's everybody every human being and that's that's that should be our mission we want to make everybody feel like they are accepted they belong in the count so yeah. charles Dutton's story i'll go as quickly as i can charles Dutton, you know was is a, is a convicted felon killed a man in a in a knife fight in the bar in maryland went to prison studied thespianship in the in the prison became you know became involved with plays came out of prison Sid Weller Townsend was discovered by August Wilson. August mm -hmm. Wilson brought him, brought him to Yale, trained him, wrote the piano lesson for him, brought him to Broadway. The man was a big hit. Yep. On TV, he was on 60 Minutes one night. He was interviewing, and I was watching him, and it was um, one of the interviewers. His son is now on Fox. I found his name. Anyway, the interviewer asked him, um, Did you have, do you feel remorse for the life that you took? And Charles Dutton, you can see he, he, he got real pensive and he didn't answer at first. And then he thought, and then he says, not at first. He said, it wasn't until people began to ask me for my autograph. It wasn't, it wasn't until people began to shake my head. Oh, Mr. Dutton, hello. Thank you, Mr. Dutton. Oh, Mr. Dutton. He says, it wasn't until my life had meaning. It wasn't until my life had meaning and his life had meaning because now he had become this big star. Right, you know right. Man? It wasn't right. until his life had meaning that he began to think about the life he took. He had, he said he never thought about the man he killed until his life had meaning. I'm saying that to say, 
everybody's life, they want to feel that their life has meaning, right? Yes. That's yes. that's the everybody wants to feel belonged, a sense of belonging, life have meaning, they have a purpose, and they have something to do. All right. Uh, I think Darnell, I'm gonna have to kind of close it out. Is it about that time getting close to that? Uh, Herb is still with us. We're gonna have Herb say a quick uh, uh, goodbye when he comes back on there in a second, as soon as that happens on the screen. Uh, but let me close out with these thoughts. Uh, we live in a constant state of confusion and, and, and chaos, which we can no longer continue to do so. A new America is trying to be born. A new American demographically is trying to be born that must live up to all of his principles of this country. It must live up to fairness and justice, equality, equity, inclusion, acceptance, all those things we've been talking about. But it must do it in a way that allows all human beings. What is the fair and ethical treatment of all human beings? All human being lives matter. All human beings are equal. So yeah. I'm, gonna close, I'm gonna close it out this way. I'm gonna give her the last two seconds real quick. Uh, but here's what how it closes out for this week. We're trying to look at something that I've come to learn lately called unlogic. Unlogic. The world of unlogic is not ignorance or stupidity. It is reason disrupted by suspicion and misinformation. A state of the mind that, ar that arranges itself around fictitious stories rather than established facts and truths. And so in this world, we ask from a social justice Catholic perspective, of Catholic social teaching, a question that we should even have to ask, but we must, what is truth? What is truth? Well, for us, that's an easy answer. There's only one truth. That's God's truth. There's only one truth. The truth that we understand that comes from someone greater than ourselves. And so it is this, this, this human nature now to want to redefine what truth is. We can't do that. We're all entitled to our own opinion, perspective, and viewpoint, but I'm not entitled to my own fact. And I'm certainly not entitled to my own truth. So I'm entitled, I'm ex I'm entitled to, experience my, to express my experience because my daily lived experiential reality is different from yours. Just different, not better than, not more than, not less than, just different. But I have to live within the same truth. I have to live with the same facts. So going forward through these next 78 days after the election till January 20th, the example of truth and facts are gonna be more prevalent than ever. Herb, you get the last word. I'm gonna close this out after that like we always do on, on for such a time as this. Go ahead, my brother. You're unmute, unmute. You're muted. You're muted. Yes, I got it. I'm sorry. I want to thank you for the invite. Thank you for the invite to share these few moments with you, Larry. I'm I I feel blessed uh, more so than ever that I've been, that I've lived to see uh, African American cardinal in the United States. I hope that uh, Brother Gregory is infused with the spirit and is just emboldened to now what he knows is the right thing to do. You know, um, I'll leave with this quote, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Yes. Silence yes. in the face of evil is evil itself. Amen. So we need to, amen. We need to speak. amen. All right. 
Brother, th brother Herb, thank you. Brother Herb, thank you very much. And uh, to this, okay. don't go nowhere. I just amplifying your silent thing. Not yet, not yet. Uh, to amplifying your silence thing. That fits so well because all change is linguistic. All change is linguistic. So if we silent, we'll never get to change if we're not talking with each other, talking to and with each other, not pointing fingers at each it's other. Frozen. Uh, okay, we can go on and on. Darnell, we're going to get out of here. It's time to close. Uh, as always, I want everyone to be safe, be well. Until we see you on the next segment uh, for such a time as this, all, as always, peace, power, and love.